1: Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com allen Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com A-L-A-N. Welcome to Marketing Today. I'm your host, Alan Hart, managing partner of Atomic, combining brand science and creative fire. Today on the show, I have Lisa Baird, Chief Marketing Officer of United States Olympic Committee. As the CMO, she's responsible for overseeing sales, marketing, sponsorship, media, events, consumer products, and direct marketing. Today marks the one year lead up to the PyeongChang Games in 2018. But we'll also talk about Tokyo in 2020 and the bid for LA in 2024. Lisa is the epitome of a long-range marketer. And she also reveals some of the new initiatives that are going out under the Olympics and how they're helping athletes despite the IOC's Rule 40. Well, Lisa, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Alan. It's really good to be here.
1: So, I know you are the CMO of the United States Olympic Committee, but I want my listeners to know a little bit more about your background. How did you get started? I looked at your background. It looks like you went from CPG to tech to sports. Yeah. Tell me, Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. I've actually had a very fun time working primarily as a marketer, but working across many industries. So, like a lot of marketers, I started my career with the very classic marketing training. My first job was at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati in brand management. After that, I spent a number of years in the healthcare industry. And in healthcare, you spend a lot of time on product development, building strong brands, but got my first taste of doing acquisitions and working in a a highly regulated environment. From there, I transitioned and went to work for General Motors in the auto industry, one of the most complicated and interesting industries, I think, in the world. And certainly, you know, was challenging to try and figure out how to create demand- and new products in the auto industry under, you know, pretty pretty strong financial pressure. It's one where operational costs play a lot of a role. So, I did about five years in GM and really brought a lot of marketing structure and discipline and thinking to uh, GM. From there, I worked at IBM. And they're the leader in the technology industry, uh, very strong marketing profile, one of the biggest, most valuable brands in the world, perennially as measured by any, uh, you know, by any kind of research report. And, you know, technology is exciting, dynamic, ever-changing, and there's a lot to be said about working in one of the companies in the world that can really reframe where marketing, where, where technology goes. And IBM, you know, when we were working there with leadership and including Lou Gerstner and Sam Palmisano, framing where we thought the technology industry would go, it's really kind of heady. And I think I enjoyed working with some of the greatest intellects in technology in the day, including a number of Nobel Prize winners. And from there, I got the opportunity to go to the NFL, where I was for three years working for Commissioner Tagliabue and Goodell. And um, for the last eight years, I've been the Chief Marketing Officer at the U.S. Olympic Committee.
1: That's quite a background. And I ran across your name and wanted to invite you on because you had recently been named to the top 50 most innovative CMOs by Business Insider. And... I'm curious, what, what does that mean to you? What does winning an award like that mean to you?
2: You know, it's really, uh, you know, it's it's humbling in a way. I'd like to say it's <laughs> flattering and honoring, but it's humbling because if you look at the people on that list, I mean, they are, you know, they are the who's who of marketers. And they mm-hmm. run marketing and brand and, you know, revenue generation at the biggest companies in the world. So I think what I'm most proud about is that, the United States Olympic Committee ended on that list. We've been working really hard as a leadership team and a marketing team, and I give a lot of credit to my board of directors to position the U.S. Olympic Committee as a a really strong marketer and a creator of its own programs and assets. And so I think... To me, what was most proud uh, for me is to see the USOC on that list with, you know, HP and McDonald's. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good, I think. So I was pretty proud of that.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Those are great brands to be associated yeah, with. Yeah, great
2: brands. And it's like, we felt like we were in really good company.
1: <laughs> Before we get too far into this, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the IOC's Rule 40.
2: Okay
1: you know, having been a, an Olympic sport athlete, not an Olympic athlete, but a wrestler in my early oh. early days, you know the non
2: favorite sports you
1: well know, the non-revenue producing ones for that matter in, in, uh, in today's world. but you know it seems like that rule is just overly burdensome on athletes that are trying to make ends meet, meaning that you know they can't find their own sponsors to help them achieve their dreams you know I feel like we're starting you know maybe at the international level to lose focus on sport and the athletes in favor of fo- focusing on sponsors but I wanted to see what you what you thought about that
2: well I you know I'd heard similar um, you know I'd heard similar things from other athletes and I think that's why the IOC and we worked with them on this for a couple of years before we came out with the new guidance for Rio. I think that's why we took, uh, uh, we took a deep listen to a lot of the athletes, the athletes on the AAC, certainly the athletes in the international community, and the IOC, with our full support, changed the rule to allow just for that. So in the Rio games, we changed the rule um, dramatically so that competitors... And athletes who had different sponsors than just the IOC sponsors and the USOC sponsors could continue to run marketing campaigns that support their athletes during the traditional Rule 40 blackout period. And we were really, you know, we we kind of like everybody went into it, didn't know exactly what would happen um, from this. But... I think we are really pleased with the results of this first-time effort because um, the important thing was that we got out in front of it and explained it to all of the stakeholders, including athletes, their agents, NGBs, even competitors of our own sponsors to say, look, we want you to do this. We want to take advantage of this. Here's how to do it. And we worked with them. We had over, I think, 400, over 400 campaigns from non-sponsors submitted into our system, and we approve them, and athletes did benefit this Games. And I'm sure there's some things that we could do better, particularly, you know, we always want to make it easy for people to use. But we also want to be mindful that it is the USOC sponsors and the IOC top sponsors that help provide so much of the financial and also product and service support that make the Games run. So we've got to balance both both, both interests. And and that's where I'm sure we can always get better. But I I would think this change is a good one. We're you know as soon as the IOC comes out with its new guidance for for Pyeongchang, we'll wrap our heads around whether there will be any changes or not there. But I'm I'm very supportive of this change.
1: Uh, it sounds like it's a move, move in the right direction. So thank you for that I, on behalf of athletes everywhere. Thank um, you. What's next for you? You talked about Pyeongchang and the 2018 Winter Olympics. I know 2020 is Tokyo, but what, what does that look like and, and how does the LA bid fit into that long range plan?
2: Well, let's say, you know, a lot of people kind of, that you know, they don't know the Olympics every, every right. very well. They go, oh, Lisa, what do you do between periods of <laughs> games, you know? Exactly. I'm like, well, you know, we have a lot on our plate in 2017, and we've started the year pretty fast. First of all, we're doing our traditional Road to Pyeongchang event, and that is really intended to get exposure to the winter sports and the winter athletes that are going to be competing in the games. And there's a lot of marketing that goes into that. There's a lot that we're doing with our own digital media to get the stories out, to make sure that we're following all these athletes, particularly as they're in the World Cup uh, series. But the second thing that we've done is we've launched a new uh, marketing program called the Team USA Champion Series on December 17th. We had the inaugural Winter champion Series, Road to Pyeongchang, and it was a, a luge event, a women's ice hockey challenge, USA versus Canada, hmm. as well as a big air event in Copper. And we had that going on pretty much all day on NBC and NBC Sports Network, and it's exactly the type of event and, and focus that we need during the period of the game. So we're going to launch that as a franchise position that works during the period of the games for winter and summer sports. And also in December, we worked with the IOC and NBC to tell people about the new Olympic Channel which will be launching in 2017 as a partnership between the three of us. And so a lot of my time is going to be working with them to figure out the right programming, um, stories, and excitement because the Olympic Channel will be 24-7 really doing original content production, showing competitions and talking about Olympic sport and the Olympic Games. So that's going to be a focus. And then finally, in September of 2017 in Lima, Peru, the IOC members will vote on who will be the host of the 2024 Games. We're in a tough race between Paris and Budapest. And obviously, I think you know who I'm rooting for, <laughs> um, but it's going to be an all-out campaign between now and September to convince the IOC members that LA 2024 will do the best job to bring a sustainable Games that's made for athletes and really showcases American love of Olympic sport, Paralympic sport and the Games. So that's 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 a full year.
1: That is a full year. That is a full year. Yeah, you've got almost a budding media empire with that TV station too.
2: Yeah, we. I don't know. I I know it. I know that there's an audience out there for us, and and I think our challenge is to make sure that we can bring the right comp, uh, the right combination of uh, competition, original programming, and news to to make sure that not only does it feed the appetite for it, but that it's. Uh, financially successful for all of us.
1: Well, I know for one, this is a focus group of two, me and my wife, but we would pay a premium to be able to stream whatever sport we want to see. So,
2: well, thank you for that, and I'll remember that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a wrestler and a swimmer at our house. So oh, we're okay. Out.
2: <laughs> Perfect.
1: Yes, yes. So, and and probably would pay whatever price you put on it. Uh, so. All right.
2: Well, that's <laughs> good. that's definitely music to my ears. <laughs>
1: Marketers today they've got a lot like yourself to navigate and it's and it's becoming even more complex. How do you engage in, in particular you have a lot of stakeholders how do you engage with all of them and could you describe who they are too uh, for those that you know don't live your your day to day life
2: yeah i'm you know it's uh, I love the United states olympic committee and and I'll tell you why I've been here eight years now and I, you know, really want to stay involved in the Olympic movement, and and here's the reason. Number one, you know, we are a not-for-profit. We don't receive government funding, so the mission of raising the money, re- doing the programs that help sports and, and athletes directly uh, fulfill their dreams, it's a it's an incredibly compelling and motivating personal mission, and it motivates everybody who works here. To that end, you know, what what we really do as marketers is we've got to pay attention to a very diverse set of stakeholders. And some of them sometimes it has they have competing interests or they look that they have they, they feel they have competing interests. And so one of the skills in in my job that I use most is listening skills. I, I don't go into every situation thinking I have the answer. I don't. But I've got to listen very carefully to all of the stakeholders before we move and and make a choice. And part of that reason of of careful listening and some caution and action is because we have limited resources to spend in marketing. We're not for profit and Eight cents on every dollar uh, is all that we have for for mm. you know marketing and administration com- activities, so we 've got to be really careful how we spend our money to grow the movement. but the other thing is you know I find that if you listen and you 're creative and come up with solutions like the rule forty that you just mentioned, like you know, the, the Team USA Champion Series that we're working with, with our NGBs. We're trying to find spots where we can create solutions that help multiple stakeholders as opposed to just one. And I do find it more challenging sometimes than working at a, a for-profit, uh, a not for, a for-profit private entity like IBM, where it's mainly the shareholders and the employees and the customers. But, It also challenges my creativity, and that is problem solving in creative ways. Is I think what what we do best in the Olympic movement.
1: So you're you just described you're a not for profit enterprise. How do you measure success? What's you know, and and what's different from your for profit peers?
2: I think there's three things I would talk about. We talk about medals. Um, so our board hells not me particularly, but our leadership team, my boss and the head of sport performance, Alan Ashley and Rick Adams for Paralympic Sport, they hold them accountable for the number of medals. And that is a really, really strategic exercise. And the thing that I think my counterparts in sport do so well is You know, there's certain things that you can do, and they'll have short-term impact, for sure and you know, making sure that athletes are well taken care of at the games, that we're traveling with the support systems that they need at the games so that short-term they have the most optimal environment to train and to perform. Those are something that you can do. But what I find so impressive about what Alan Ashley, his team, and Rick Adams has done is how they have worked the model for high-performance training planning and, and investment to benefit the long-term. And you can see, particularly in the Rio game, Games, how that paid off because we won medals in sports that we hadn't done before. We brought back medals in sports where we hadn't medaled in a time like men's boxing. We regained some some podium opportunities in sports like sailing, and it really was through the long-term investments and that Alan and Rick have been doing to to grow that medal opportunity. Our our mission is to create as many podium opportunities for athletes as we can, and that's just not just at the game. Games. It's at the World Cups and the World Qualifiers in between the games times periods. But in order to do that, you need the resources. And I think that's where I've been proud to play a role because our team is charged with with raising the financial resources that fund these metal opportunities and the medals, And that's where, you know, not only do we need to continue to sign sponsors and licensees, but we want to look further than that and create really innovative and and exciting partnerships with our sponsors that provide even more. And I'll give you some of them where I'm really excited about what we've been able to do. We brought on um, BMW as a USOC sponsor in 2011, And we helped them create a partnership with USA Bobsled, USA Swimming, Track and Field, and Speed Skating. And the Bobsled Partnership in particular, where they created... The, the sled that helped the athletes in Sochi bring home uh, medals that had not been won, won in decades is an example of how you can go above and beyond with an interesting partnership that benefits everybody. And that's where we talk again about how do you bring different stakeholders to the table, sponsors, athletes, and a sport to create something bigger and better. Another one is our partnership with DeVry University, where not only do they provide financial resources, they provide the virtual learning um, for athletes who want to continue their education while still competing. And we've had now several athletes graduate with their degrees from DeVry, and it's something that they need to do to prepare for a post-competition career. One that we're exceedingly proud of that just debuted and launched for the Rio Games was Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, We brought them on as a sponsor, and they created the Contenders Program which hired over 200 athletes who were able to train and compete for the Rio games and um, have flexible schedules in the stores while they were still competing. And it was a really, really successful program. And I could go on. United Airlines, that is our true partner. Um, as they really transport the team around the world to competitions and support us at the Olympic Games, Nike, Ralph Lauren. So those are the integrated partnerships that really help us solidify the long-term success of the team.
1: I love those programs, especially the creativity to support the athletes, like we talked about earlier in the conversation. And it's vital for them to perform at their peak performance, right?
2: It is. And if you can put athletes at the center of everything you do, I think that's where you know you've got to remember that, you know, we're balancing stakeholders, but the ultimate goal is to provide as many podium opportunities for as many athletes as we can.
1: So you are the epitome of the long-term planning marketer, I think. When we talk about, we're talking about 2024 as yeah. as something that's in your horizon, right? It's most, just right most, over the horizon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and most marketers it's like, well, what am I doing this quarter? I can't even yeah. think about next quarter yet. So, how do you how do you stay ahead of trends or or what you need to be thinking about to be effective in the, that far out?
2: It's a great question, and I, you know, I I probably have a similar answer to many marketers. I find that the better and more articulate and more precise your mission and your purposes, that that needs to act as your long-term guide. And you should measure everything you do against, are you fulfilling that mission and purpose? When that gets fuzzy or ambiguous, you find a lot of people default to short-term because it's not as clear as it can be. And and putting the right measurements in place for the long-term help you to keep kind of that true north on your compass but having said that you know we are we are all living in a world where there's so much information and data available to us that you do want to take advantage of that and be flexible to make sure that you're you're kind of making sure you're turning the dials on that long-term strategy to optimize as you go so we do spend a lot of effort trying to maintain that pulse on you know kind of what does what do american fans want what are they interested in how can we feed that better what works what doesn't work and so we're always relentlessly trying to kind of fine tune our speed our and course correct with what we're doing to, again, raise the resources, keep Americans engaged, and continue to grow exposure, engagement, um, and opportunity for Olympic sport in America. So it's really the balancing that's the tough part. And, you know, I, like others, would say I've sometimes been too short-term focused, um, sometimes not enough. But I think that's what distinguishes those who are successful in their career is the ability to do both.
1: One thing I want to do is step back from your role today. And I do this with all my, all the folks that come on the show and really talk about you. What fuels you? What, what drives you? If you don't mind.
2: You know I think our mission uh, you know from a from the u s s c perspective the mission and the purpose is is really rewarding and satisfying more thing than I've ever than have like if you look at our mission statement, you know it is to provide you know athletes and sports the ability to you know sustainable excellence so that they can continue to meddle um but i but I think the my love is the last part of our mission statement, which is you know, and in thereby doing so, inspire all Americans. Mm. And I have to say there's very few things that can bring Americans together today, but their love and their support of Team USA is one of them. So I think that that's something very, very unique about my job that as a great unifier of the U.S., I, I truly, truly drives me. What also I think drives me is that... Uh, as every I think every company but clearly sports we live in a complicated world and you constantly have to reinvent yourself you can never rest on your loyal laurels you've got to be humble because the world moves so fast and so differently and I think you know I'm reading a lot today about you know kind of the you got to be careful Relying too much on the metrics and the the news that you <laughs> think is right, because right. you can be wrong. And to me, I just read something that you know one of my mentors and someone I admire greatly, David Sable, um, he's the global CEO of YNART, just wrote, and he said, you know, look, look how many people have been wrong. Look, we we looked at the same old data with the same old lens and you know what there's a lot I'm not just talking about the election I'm talking about a right. lot of things right. that we just we didn't we weren't right about and he talks about something that I think is a good lesson to us which is when you have you should take advantage of data and research and you really should be you know careful to 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 make sure you're listening to it but you've also got to remember that human beings are spontaneous you know they're going to they can surprise you. And, you know, the more that you realize, particularly in my world, we are marketing to people who have a passion for their country, who care about how we look on the world stage, who, you know, want our athletes to make us proud and um, want the USOC to be, you know, that pristine, above-it-all organization. You know, we've got to remember that we actually have a bigger stakeholder group than anybody else I can think of, and that's Americans. And I better be able to know them and know what they're thinking of and know what they care about pretty well.
1: It's quite inspiring to inspire all Americans. I mean, it's, it's a isn't lofty that a great, goal. Isn't yeah. that a great
2: lofty brand <laughs> promise? It, it, I'm not sure. It is. I, I, well, I'll tell you what. It'll never be done. So I think that's what's so exciting is that, you know what, I don't think I'll be able to say, yeah, I, get, I did that. I think it's just right. definitely an aspirational vision. <laughs>
1: Well, I still get chills on the back of my neck when you walk in somewhere that we're watching the Olympics and everyone's chanting USA, yeah. USA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I think you you're getting there. You're getting there. But it is is great it's a great mission. So, I know you've got a lot of sponsors, but I'm curious, you know, are there brands or companies that you look to in terms of, you know, you know, where you want to shape the the U.S. Olympic Committee from a marketing perspective?
2: Yeah, you know, the, my my mantra, and I still believe it today, is I want market leaders in their industries to be to be our partners because they're the ones that are shaping their industry. You know, if they're the market leaders, they have, you know, I, I kind of take that, that they have the brightest marketers there, the most creative marketers, risk takers, smart. So we always try and partner with market leaders. But, you know, I have to say I, I'm... I'm tuned into the technology and and the digital media space right now because it feels like there's so much dynamic change going there. And I I wouldn't describe us as the best, most adept technology company right now. So that would be a partnership I would very, very much welcome because I think Mm -hmm. it'll make us better.
1: Good. Last question for you today. What, what do you predict for the future of marketing? I mean, you're way out there, so I'm hoping Uh, you guys, (laughs) no, no, I'm hoping we can, we can get some nuggets from you.
2: You know, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to go into the predictive thing. What I'll tell you is what I think will remain the same. I think that marketers who always focus on their customers or their stakeholders' problems and listen to them and solve their problems will always win. I think customer focused entities win. I don't necessarily think it's about innovation or, or you know, creativity as an end goal. I think it's about all of that in service of solving problems. I do think that the world is getting smaller. It's not getting bigger. It's getting smaller. And While it's tempting for us to say, well, I'm going to focus on this customer base or this segment or this target audience... Um, To me, it's so interesting, and this is what big data can help us do, is start to realize how diverse our constituents are going to be. And I do think that that's going to require us to be ever, ever, ever more sophisticated in developing the right listening tools, the right CRM tools, the right programs that don't market to what might have been Easier in old times, a demographic segment or even a psychographic segment that, you know, I can find people who are interested in, in table tennis all over the world, in the U.S., different ages, different regions. And you gotta, you gotta make sure you market table tennis to that diverse base. So I think that's going to become more challenging is identifying who your customers are and, and what drives them. And I think the final thing is that you know i think as someone who really has inspiring american patriotism at her core like that's something i've got to be focused on short term and long term our very our very mission is to make sure that athletes make americans proud when they're out winning those medals and how they do it is just as important as when they do it and how many they bring home. So we're going to continue to keep that feeling of pride as as something that guides us. And I think that will be, that'll be really exciting to see what we do as we bring these athletes. It's the home team advantage in 2024 with an LA win of that, the, the hosting opportunity.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you, Alan. I really appreciated it. And uh, go Team USA.
1: (laughs) Go Team USA, for sure.